Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. So a few years ago, um, I was bouncing around on Amazon looking for something to read because I love to read. It is it is an addiction, a sickness, whatever you want to call it. I can't not read. If I am sitting in traffic, I am reading the traffic signs. If I'm in the doctor's office, I'm reading the, the wash your hand signs. I have to read. It's, it's a sickness. It just is. But I came across this book and the first thing that caught me was the interesting cover and I'm not going to spoil the cover I will put a link to the book listeners and you can go check out the cover but it's really kind of cool you did not judge that book by its cover I judged a book by its cover I'm guilty Uh, the book was called Ghost Files and you know me I love paranormal I know surprise right it is a young adult paranormal book and I didn't care I read it anyway and I read it in one sitting and then I read the next book in the series and the next book in the series. And I think I got all the way through 4.1. And then there wasn't a 4.2 or it was three and there wasn't a four. I forget. But I got partway through it and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. So then I had to go find this author because I needed to know more <laughs> because I was so hooked on this series and stalked her a little bit on Facebook till I found her. <laughs> and she was agreed to come today. This, now we're what four years later, and she's agreed to come today and chat with us. So yay! I want to welcome April Baker to our show. April, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Hi, thanks guys for having me. I appreciate you uh, letting me come on today and to chat about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> See, you say that. You say that. <laughs> There's various things I don't chit chat about. Ghost Files is a very unique book, right? It's young adult, but it caters to everybody. Am I wrong in my thinking that it was your first book? It was not. Okay. The Promise was actually my first book. Oh, really? Yeah, it's no longer available um, anywhere except for Wattpad. But it was the first book that I wrote professionally. The very first book that I actually attempted to write is what you have now as uh, the Blackburn Legacy, but it went through many, many different changes. And what year was that? 2013, I want to say. So you've been writing for seven years, and you have, most people write for seven years, and they've got two good books, maybe three good books that people want to read. And how many books do you have? Because I started a list, and then I, my hand got tired. I don't keep count, honestly. It's, I know it's more than 20. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> So, so I, I stopped counting them because I, I find that if you try to, to count how many books that you have, you start to worry about how many you put out, and then your quality starts to suffer, and I just I stopped doing that. Well, I, I want to let our listeners know, I'm not going to give a count, but I want to let our listeners know, we've got the Ghost Files series, we've got the spinoff, the Crane Diaries, well, continuation, the standalone Silas, we've got the Bloodline Legacy books, which are awesome, Hybrid, Wolfpack U, the Man Horse series, the Kincaid Security series, the books you've written for Havenwood Falls. I mean, and the list is, it goes on from there. That's not including what you have up on Wattpad. Um, it's not including the ideas that you've been tossing around that I've been paying attention to. So you're a very, very prolific writer, and they're all top quality. So I give you a lot of credit for that because not a lot of people can pull that off. Ghost Files was your, your really your breakout hit. It was. Did it surprise you? It did. Um, when I first wrote the book, I actually sent it to about 50 different agents, and they all uh, turned me down. One even told me that it would not sell the genre. It just it wouldn't. It wasn't good enough. And I actually almost deleted the book from my computer. Oh, no. Thank, thank you for not doing that. Yeah. A friend um, told me to, to put it on Wattpad to see, you know, what the readers would think about it. And I think it had, like, over a million reads in under a month. And um, I actually got my publishing deal with Limitless Publishing through Wattpad. They found the book on Wattpad. So I guess, you know, what I, I, I say to people now is don't always listen to what an agent tells you. You know, go out and find readers and have them read it. You never know. Yeah, because that, that book is fantastic. The whole series. I mean, it it just pulled me in, and I haven't stop since. I've been following you around like a puppy dog ever since. So, 
What was the inspiration for this? Believe it or not, I was, um, I was when I was, lived in North Carolina, I was washing dishes, and the curtains above the sink started fluttering, and the windows were closed, the AC was off, and I started thinking to myself, well, what could it be? It could be a ghost. And I thought, no, 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 ghosts don't exist. And, you know, it's just a little idea that, that stuck. And then we ha- I had some um, foster kids that lived a couple doors down from me, and so the idea, because I'd wanted to do something about um, the foster care system for a while, and then that idea just kind of stuck with me. And then when I saw one of the little girls walking down the street, I thought to myself, well, there's the idea. Let's do that. And so I just sat down and started writing. You, you based Maddie off of, of the kids in your neighborhood? Of three foster kids that lived like three doors down from me. They were very, very hard to get to know because, you know, they were very closed off. They didn't trust people. But once you get to know them, um, you saw what beautiful kids they were. And they had just been through some really hard times. And when you start listening to some of these horrific horror stories they tell you, the best way I thought that I could bring some light to that particular system was through a book. I'm not saying that all foster homes are bad because there are some really great ones, but you have probably twice as many bad ones as you do good ones. Yeah, we, we've seen that here also. When you sat down, you got to know them. Were you thinking about the book then, or, or were you just getting you were just getting no. to know the kids in the neighborhood? I was just getting to know the kids in the neighborhood because you know they always walk by the path, up by my house on the way home from school, and they always just look so sad. And I knew their their foster parents; they were really good people, and you know they treated them really well. But these kids just always look so sad. And um, I had a conversation with their foster mom about it, and she was telling me that. You know, they were trying to get them to open up to them as well, but it was just really hard to get them to trust you. Had you had any experience with foster kids before that? I had not. That was typically, that was really my first foray into the whole system. And then once you get to hear them talk about all their experiences in the good and the bad homes, it really opens up your eyes to what's going on in that particular system. Because that that's a fundamental part of Maddie's character, her personality, is what she went through in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, I promise, but I mean, that, that really defined how she reacted, who she was, and it was a, a fundamental piece of how the book moved forward. She's a culmination of all three of those kids. Uh, the youngest little girl, she would always say, fudge pops. And so I asked her, <laughs> I said, do you care if I use that with my book and she's like oh no do whatever you want so she's like and you know I kept her name out of it because she was only um nine and I didn't want um any of that you know coming back to her and so her foster mom she's like oh yeah that's fine just you know don't mention her in the book so she's not even mentioned in the acknowledgments but she has a signed copy and she's very happy with it I have a signed copy, and I'm very happy with it, too. <laughs> and you're not. No characters are based on and, you and whatsoever. I'm, I'm not a little one. <laughs> I don't even want to say how old I am at this point. <laughs> I think uh, I think it was in the readers group. I think it was Kay and other people were like, you need to write a series based on us. <laughs> hey, a bunch of crazy people in our readers group. Story of uh, stalkers. There you go. Kay, Kay is a trip and a half, and... She is, but I don't know what I would do without her, Amber. I really don't. They are the best PAs you could ever find. Yeah, they they are amazing. Kay, Kay, she's and she's mean. All right, I'm just putting it out there, Kay. If you're listening, you're mean. All right, all those <laughs> teasers you put out about upcoming books without actually telling us what's going on, they're <laughs> just mean. Well, she's she's a beta reader too, so she always reads it before it comes out, and she tells me um, what's wrong with it. So I can say sometimes she is a little mean. A little. Uh, I'm hmm. trying not to not trying not to throw spoilers out there, but man, that woman. <laughs> and for our listeners, um, April has an advanced readers group that help her go through the book, make sure everything is continuous, and you know things are not kind of fobbled here or there, spelling errors, things like that. Uh, Kay kind of does a lot of the managing in that group. <laughs> And she will get the book before anybody, and she will read the book, and then she will come into the Facebook group and say, oh, my God, wait till you read this book. I can't believe April did that. And then she'll leave it alone <laughs> and leave us hanging, just like that. <laughs> you should ask her. She just uh, she took the revisions for Bayou Reckoning with her. 
to uh, over the weekend because she was going to be in the car for like six hours because I had had to slow down the ending. It was very rushed. And uh, she read it and she sent me this message. Let me what is it she said? The new version is freaking perfect. That's what she put in all caps. <laughs> Oh, I adore her. She's awesome. The new one, there was just so much going on in the last three or four chapters. Even though it wasn't rushed, it took me like four months to write this book. It still felt rushed. It read rushed. And so she and um, April, uh, another beta reader of mine, uh, read it. And they gave me some good notes on how to fix it. And so for three days, before it went to my editor, I spent three days adding 7,000 words and rewriting almost half of it. Mm. I'm sorry. Did you say you wrote 7,000 words in three days while revising? Yes. My editor uh, probably wanted to kill me when she got that book because she'd already went through first revisions already. Well, <laughs> Lori's tough. She can handle it. Plus, I don't know what I would do without Lori, though. She's... Um, the best editor I have ever worked with. So if she's listening, Lori, anyone who needs an editor, she's she's perfect. I'll put her link in the show notes if she wants. If she's okay with that, I'll do that. Because Oh, uh, she's always okay with finding <laughs> new writers. She loves paranormal and sci fi. That that actually brings to mind something interesting. A few minutes ago you were talking about your curtains blowing. And you're like, ah, ghosts aren't real. And then you wrote this incredibly popular series that's based on ghosts being real. Um, <laughs> did you, is, your, is your mind changing a little bit? It was research. I've probably spent four or five months just researching ghosts, people who've um, seen ghosts, haunted places. I talked to people, um, called up, tried to contact paranormal investigators. You'd be surprised at how many will not talk to you. Oh, we would. <laughs> But, yeah, I contacted, you know, some of, um, who was it, the people from the Travel Channel. Um, I, I, you know, I, I sent them a Facebook message and a Twitter message, and they were just like, they never even replied. So I was like, okay, I'll just do my own research from now on. Yeah. But, yeah, you can actually talk to people that have experienced things, and if you listen to them, it could sort of change your mind. Well, we'll have to take you out with us sometime. Yeah, um, Maybe. <laughs> It depends on the COVID crisis. Well, everything depends on that. Everything depends on that. But when, when the world is free and clear again, we'll, we'll come and, and snag you and uh, take you around the East Coast a little bit. Now, my dad and my brother, over last Monday, yeah, it was last Monday, they went up to the uh, Shawnee Amusement Park in uh, Mercer County that's supposedly haunted. And they both came back and they're like, well, I don't know. My brother's like, I'm not going back. My dad's like, I didn't get scared. <laughs> But it is supposedly one of the most uh, haunted places in West Virginia, so I don't know. But I will say this. My cat, when my dad came through my door, my cat started hissing, and he hissed for three days. Really? That sweet little... He did, yes. He would just stare at nothing and hiss. Oh, that's weird. I told my dad he'd drag something back with him. Well, there you go. And how, how's Bruiser now that dad's gone home? <sighs> Bruiser is Bruiser. <laughs> well, is he hissing now? Right now, he's laying on uh, my shipping boxes at the moment. He's done destroyed two of them. <laughs> he's still a kitten, though. He is. He's mean, though. <laughs> he, no, he's playful. He's a tuxedo, and he's playful. Uh, April has a really adorable little tuxedo young cat. Uh, is he a year now? He's not a year yet. He's, no, he won't be a year old until probably September. September's a good month to have a birthday. <laughs> so I, I have another question for you here. Having read all the ghost file books and up to date of all the Crane Diary books, which is the Maddie's grown up part of the series, do you did you plan out most of this? Um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling most of Maddie's background before no. you started the series, or did just because I, I went back and I reread the ghost file books this past the past two weeks. And it almost seems like, oh, you know what? I should have seen this coming later on. Yeah, there, there are authors that will sit down and write out an outline for each book. They'll plot out what's going to happen for however many books they have planned. I tried that. It did not work well because no matter what I did, I could not stick to whatever um, I, I wrote out. And so for me, I just sit down. I get a, a general idea. And I'll sit down and I'll start writing, and whatever comes out, comes out. So 
all of her background, all of that was all spur of the moment. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's all my books. I, I never plan anything out. I just I sit down with a general idea and let it go from there. I, I know it drives some people crazy to try to write like that, and it's one of the reasons that I don't write with a lot of people. I don't co-author with a lot of people because that's just how I write. I don't plan things out. Well, I, I've got to tell you, for somebody who, who kind of just goes from the seat of her pants writing a book, don't change it. If that's your technique, please don't ever change it because... You're doing something right here because your books are really, you know, they really suck you in from start to finish. And from the first book of Ghost Files to where we are currently in the Crane Diaries. And I'm trying not to give titles. I'm trying not to, <laughs> to give too much information. You're more welcome to give out titles and things because it's all available for people to, to look at anyway. Okay. Uh, it, it seems it's, one, it's, it's got that, that level of continuity that goes through it, that makes, that's what makes it kind of believable. I mean, you're, you're watching Maddie grow up, you're watching the people around her mature, and it's very consistent. Who well, she is is very consistent. What's going on with her and her background and everything is very consistent. It's like a natural flow of how things work. Do you go back and, and reread the previous books when you're writing the new ones? I keep very detailed spreadsheets of plot points, of uh, characters, of what happened in each book, Otherwise, I would get completely lost because I'm usually writing anywhere from one to four books at any given time. And I have actually sat down to write one book and use characters out of another book in a scene and have to completely throw it out. If I didn't have my spreadsheets, I would get completely lost. Most authors would get lost just trying to think about two different stories at once. And I do know that you juggle like a lot of times four books at a time. Uh, how do you... How do you manage to switch back and forth like that? My mind runs a thousand miles a minute. I'm always thinking of like four or five steps ahead of almost everything. And so whatever is in my head at that particular moment, that's what I'll write at that particular moment. That's the only way I can keep up. Because if I try to start thinking about two or three different things all at once, it'll all end up on the page. So I, I'm, I'm very good at compartmentalizing for 30 minutes at a time, and then it'll all get jumbled back up. That's one of the reasons I love Dragon is because I can talk out and I can write five, 6,000 words in 30 minutes. Can, can I ask you about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know that you use uh, Dragon, Dragon Speak, right? I do. Because you're having uh, trouble with your eyes. I have what's called diabetic retinopathy with diabetic macular edema, which means I'm slowly going blind. And it's very hard for me to um, sit in front of a computer screen and look at anything for more than 10, 15 minutes at a time. But with the Dragon software, I can actually write without looking at the screen. So I can sit, do things, I can go, you know, do laundry while I'm writing because I have a, a Bluetooth headset that I use. My niece will go through it after I'm done, and she'll... Um, put all the punctuation in, she'll sort everything out for me so that when I actually look at it, it's in a decent format. I'm not one of those people that say comma, um, pause, in sentence, I'll just do it run on. Yeah. Bless her heart, she uh, she do- deals with a lot. I'll send it to her every day and she, she fixes it and sends it back to me. So how much time in it during the day do you spend working on your books? It depends. Um, I typically write from about... 4.30, 5 a.m. to 8 in the morning, and that's just, you know, writing. But then you have a lot of other things that you have to do. You've got marketing you have to work on. You've got editing for whatever uh, book you're working on, revisions. So I can spend anywhere from four to eight hours a day, but it's not always looking at the computer. Okay. So you, you, don't, you don't outline out your books. Nope. You juggle four, four books at a time sometimes. You have to use a speaking program rather than a typing program. Mm-hmm. That's correct. You, you're amazing. <laughs> no, seriously, th- this is amazing because your books really are, I can't say it enough, are top notch, right? I recommend them to everybody because they are that good. And you put out so many and they're all quality. So that, that's an, ac- an inspiration, right? You have somebody who was turned down repeatedly, who has to overcome some challenges and is still still do it the way she wants to do it. 
Well, what I always tell people is if there's something that you really, really want to do, no matter um, what roadblocks get thrown in your, your path, you'll find a way to do it. If it's something that really matters to you, you'll find a way to do it. And writing really, really matters to me. So I did what I had to do to, to get it done. What, what made you start in the very beginning? I should have asked you this first, but what made you start in the very beginning? What made you say, hey, I'm going to write? You know, honestly, I've, my daddy will tell you that I was writing crazy, insane stories when I was two and three with these big crayon scrawls across the page. And I've, just, I've always written crazy stuff since I was little, since before I could even actually read and write. But I think what made me want to write professionally was when I sat down and I read um, Phantom by Dean Koontz, mm. and I love that book. I, I love Dean Koontz, yeah. Yeah, I love, it was that particular, it was the first book I'd ever read of his, and I thought to myself, well, you know, this is really good. I, I, could, I might be able to do this, because at that point, I wasn't reading a lot of horror books, because my aunt, uh, my Aunt Joyce, no longer with us, she gave me my first Harlequin romance novel when I was 11. <laughs> If you can't read anything but the Harlequin romance novels, I was like, well, why not? She had this, like, huge library of all these romance novels. And, of course, at 11, you don't realize that some of these um, later historical romances are just soft porn for women. Yes. <laughs> so yes. At, uh, she's like, nope, you're going to read the Harlequin. I like Harlequin to this day because it's an actual story minus the soft porn. They are really, really good for anybody that wants to let their uh, daughters who are under the age of 15 read something that doesn't have a lot of sex in it. But I highly recommend them. You have your own um, romance series. I do. It wasn't something that I wanted to do at all. My uh, publisher, I I'd had an idea about a story, and she's like, well, write it. She sort of pushed me into writing it, which was Touch Me Not. I didn't think that I could write romance because I had been writing, like, paranormal and horror, and it's not something that I was comfortable with. She said, just try it. And so she she got it, and she's like, okay, we're going to publish it. And I thought to myself, oh, God, what will my readers think? They're not used to this for me. They're not going to like it. And I remember the day that it came out, I was so sick to my stomach. I was nauseous all day. I threw up all day. And my friend, um, she's one of my best friends in the world, Chaz, Chaz Willow, Chassie Willow, she was constantly Facebook messaging Colin. She's like, calm down. It's going to be fine. People are going to love it. but And I still get like that. Every time I, I publish a romance novel, I stay sick to my stomach all day because I'm always afraid that it's just not going to be any good. You have such a compelling story behind these books, right? When you write the books, it's not just a romance novel. You, you really develop the characters. You really get into the story. Uh, I am not a fan of romance. I am just not. It's just not something I couldn't get into. Uh, the more... Um, graphic scenes are things that I will most likely skim over because it just I'm, it's just not my thing um, that's part of my hesitation in writing romance because I'm not comfortable writing those scenes and so a lot of my romance novels you'll notice you'll only have one or two scenes like that in the whole book for which I'm grateful <laughs> but the, the stories are, are great I mean they're like true love stories in there and they're the character development and the brothers, the relationship between the brothers and their family. And I think you did a fantastic job with those and the Kincaid series that came after. I pull a lot of inspiration, honestly, from those old 80s and 90s historical romance novels when it was more about the story than the sex things. And, I, you know, I read a lot of romance still, and a lot of them I'll get, I'll download because it sounds great, and then I'll stop writing or stop reading it because all it is is just one sex scene right after another. Yeah. And there might be 10%, 15% actual uh, story content in it. And so I think I went into it thinking that I was just going to fall back to those old books that I used to read that was in my aunt Bo's library. Did you do a lot of research for for these two series? I do tons of research. I do tons of research for um, all of my series because if you don't believe what you're writing, no matter how good it is, the reader's going to pick up on it. You have to know what you're talking about. And that's something that I, I tell a lot of uh, writers who ask me, you know, well, what do you do? You have to research, especially young adults. 
because a young adult is not going to talk like you and I do. You know, they have their own little slang language. And I tell people, I say, well, if you're going to write teenagers, go sit down at the mall in the food court on a Saturday and just listen to them talk. Take a recorder with you if you want to, make some notes, but listen. Otherwise, it's not going to be believable. But but don't stare at the teenagers. Don't be that creepy person. <laughs> no, no, that's like take your Kindle with you and you read and you just <laughs> listen and write. But no, if you want a teenager to pick up your book and say, hey, you know what? This this is great. This sounds like me. This is something I would do. This is something I would say. You got to know what you're talking about. You can't just, you know, if you're a 40-year-old man trying to write about a 15-year-old teenage girl, and you're writing the way you talked when you were 15, doesn't work. Yeah. I think we call that foreign language, don't we? Yeah, something like that. I think it's another language, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think kids today say groovy. Far far out? No, they don't say far out. Awesome. Awesome was our thing, right, in the 80s? Awesome is still a thing? It is still a thing. It has never gone away. Score one for the 80s, yes. The coolest decade ever. Uh, I'm going to ask you about a book you wrote, and it was part of a collection, and it left on a cliffhanger. Uh, Hybrid Mm -hmm. was probably my favorite book of yours, to be honest. Didn't leave that on the cliffhanger, did I? I I thought there was... it seemed like there was more to come, and I know it was part of a collection, and there there's a, a whole reason why you didn't write a, a follow-up book for it. Well, it was part of the O'Fallow Witch Collection, and it was only supposed to be one book. We were told going into it that we would not be writing another book in that particular collection. We couldn't use that world um, to write on our own. So I, I did my best to, to tie up loose ends. But at the same time, I think I left a few questions open um, about other things like um, the main character's sister and his best friend. I think I left some some things open there, hoping that they would um, allow us to write in it again. But so far, they have decided not to do that, which it was a really good world. I loved all the books Mm -hmm. in that series. I read them all. It was very imaginative. The whole world, um, the backgrounds of the characters, all of that was was great. And I I will have a link for that as well. (laughs) Yeah, I think Hybrid's probably one of my better books, but it doesn't get a lot of attention at all. No, it doesn't. I was surprised by that because you don't need to read the rest of the series to read that one book. No, that's how we um, went into it. Each book had its own sector. And so Mm -hmm. we could reference the other sectors if we wanted to, but they were all meant to be standalone books. It's it's on your Amazon page, right? I think I remember Mm -hmm. seeing it there. Okay. So listeners, you can definitely go and download this one you want to. It is it is really, really good. Uh, I will warn you, once you read it, you'll want to read all the other books that are listed on April's page as well. You've got so many so many really good series. Uh, The Bloodline Legacy. How'd how'd that come about? It, it started out as my first book that I ever wrote. Back in the day, it was called The Awakening. And it's just something I, I, I honestly don't even remember how it popped into my head. Because at the time, I was 12 when I got the idea. 12? I was 12. Oh, wow. And so it went through many, many different forms. And so when was it? 2012, I think, when I finally... Um, started sending things out to, to agents, and um, one of the agents that I sent it to, she's like, you know, it's a really good premise. It just needs a lot of work. And so she gave me a website called The Next Big Writer. She said, you know, you can put your work on there. Other writers will read it and critique it and help you fix it. And so I put it up there, and I remember I, I did. The next day when I started reading through some of these critiques, I think I cried for two days. I did not want to write ever again, but my daddy told me, he's like, buck up and uh, read through it and see if they have any points, and so I did, and a lot of people had the same points, and he's like, well, if they're all saying the same thing, then it's probably something wrong. You need to fix it, and so I fixed it, and I published it myself. It was called The Awakening. There are no physical, um, let me rephrase that. There are two physical copies of that book left in this world in that particular format. I have one, and um, Jennifer Hewitt, a friend of mine who loved it, she has the other one. But then I took it down after I reread it, 
because it needed a lot of work. It was literally the first book I ever really sat down and wrote. And so I completely changed the characters. I changed the location. I changed the backstory. The only person that stayed the same in that book was Alex and Sadie. Everyone else completely changed. And you ended up with what I have now, which is a book based on the paranormal and mental illness. Did you think that it was going to become a popular series like it did? No, I didn't. Because, you know, when I had released it originally, it wasn't that popular. It's just every author has those, those books that you release that are a learning curve. So like, okay, so this didn't work. Why didn't it work? Let's do something different to see if this works. And that particular the awakening was my learning curve. And when I re-released it as the the Blackburn Legacy, I took a lot of um, I did a lot of research into um, mental illness, and I used that to explain some of the things that had happened to her. She actually thought she was a little crazy. And if you read through to the last book, you still have the same question. Yeah, <laughs> is what she went through real? Or is she really still in a mental institute? You still have that. You don't know that that last part when you, when you do that whole whole set of scenes. You know, doing an interview with somebody and not doing spoilers on their book because you want people to read them is really nearly hard. impossible. <laughs> I, you know what? Honestly, I, I just put in the the beginning that um, if people are interested, there will be spoilers because it's hard to talk about them without telling you what the books are about. That that whole scene was was very realistic. About was she, was she fantasizing her life in the university and with with her brother and everything, or was she was the the hospital that she was in? I was trying to think of the right word there. The hospital she was that was that the one that was the trick, right? And and you you kind of weave that back and forth, and it's really hard to tell for a while there. And even at the end, it's it's like. Well, I'm going to believe this way because I really want to believe it's this way. But you leave enough questions that it could be either way. And I thought that was really clever. Because yeah, I wanted to, to piggyback everything that she had gone through in the Blackburn legacy. Like when her magic woke up, all the things that she felt. And then when in, we came to book three, she's going through um, coming down off of all the medicine. They took all the medicine out of her system. So she's, she's going through... Um, all of that. And so the symptoms of that sort of mimic what happened to her when her magic woke up. Right. So I wanted people to wonder which world is real. Because if you, if you think about it, even in the, the Bayou series that, you know, she's in there, she still has issues with it. I was just going to ask you about that. And, it, and I mean, she even tells Matt, and she's like, you know, this, this may not be real. I mean, I could be making all of this up. I mean, your backstory is going to be something I've made up in my head. That's how she believes. And it's it's done so well. And I'm looking at John because I'm telling him because he has not read all the books. So he doesn't know much about uh, the Bloodline Legacy series at all. So it is done so well that even when you reread them, you, you're kind of looking and scratching your head. And she does. She carries over into Maddie's transition into adulthood books, <laughs> um, the, the Crane Diaries, and the whole the whole Bayou part of that as a crossover. And it's still a question. I mean, so now you're questioning two series, what's mm-hmm. real and what's not. You're almost as evil as Kay, aren't you? I try. I try. <laughs> <laughs> what, what made you do the crossover? People have been asking for a long, long time if I was ever going to do a crossover. I mean, there's even a, a, a section in Black, the Blackwater Legacy where Sadie is talking about her favorite character, which is Maddie Hathaway. Mm-hmm. And I, I, they're supposed to have edited that out of the book, but I don't know if they have yet or not. So if anyone reads that and it's still in there, I'm sorry. But um, everybody had asked for it and asked for it. And I finally came to a part in her story where it made sense to bring um, a necromancer to New Orleans. And so they came down. I, I raised my hand because I was one of those people. I was like, yeah, let's do a crossover. That's a great idea. <laughs> now, we're we're at the anniversary of Ghost Files. Mm-hmm. And we're revamping it a little bit to do an anniversary edition. Can you talk a little bit about that? I will as soon as I rescue my cat. <laughs> I, we We have a tuxedo cat as well. He has gotten, I've got two of my whiteboards um, against the wall and the floor, 
and there was uh, some papers that fell behind there that came down. I have like I, I put like uh, my storyboard or, or is actually my entire wall. And so some of the, the papers fell down, and he's gotten behind there and is just tearing them all to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Tuxedos are handfuls, and I'm going to leave it at that. Incorrigible. More on them, but you would have heard him scream through the door the whole time. Aw. Ours are sleeping. When they get older, they do sleep, and they don't tear up as much. As much. Now, what were you asking? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't remember. Um, anniversary edition? Yes, 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 yes. We, uh, it's seven years, it's been seven years since the first book was published, and The Ghost Files was technically the third book I ever wrote, so it needed some help. It needs a lot of help. I know everyone loves it, but the writing in some parts is very cringy. I'm shaking my head at you. Like, she cringy? Is. <laughs> no. No, but... she's disagreeing with you. <laughs> Vehemently. But... But the writing is, in some parts, is a little cringy. And, you know, I was, um, I didn't know a lot about writing. You know, I had, I, I did a lot of reading. I mean, if you're a writer, you, reading is sort of a mandatory thing. Because if you don't read what's current, then you get left behind. But at the, that particular point, I thought I had a pretty good grasp of the English language. You know, I just get straight A's in English. But when you start working with an editor, you're like, oh, maybe I don't know so much. Maybe my kids <laughs> are not as great as they thought they were. Like I said, it needed some work. The end will also have uh, my version of what I think the movie script should look like for it. So that will be in there as well. You know, it's I'm not a professional screenwriter, so I'm sure it's not perfect. But it's what I think that the story should look like on screen. Um, it's also going to have some new content added in there, um, some extra scenes, and it is, it's going to get a once-over, and some of my cringe writing will uh, go away. But I will say that the hardest part of it is where I have been writing 21-year-old Maddie for so long, mm -hmm. trying to get back into the head of a little snarky 16-year-old that she was is not easy. She wasn't snarky. She was snarky. <laughs> she, she was bratty. She was just misunderstood. She was snarky. She was bratty. She was she was self-centered. She was. I wrote her like that because I, <laughs> I knew eventually she was going to grow out of it. But I wanted people to understand, you know, when you meet some people and they're like this, sometimes they're like that for a reason. And as you read through the ghost files, you learn more and more about her past and why she is the way that she is and why it's remarkable that she actually turned out the way that she did. And all of that is because of Mr. Daniel Richards. Well, I'm still trying not to do spoilers, but yes, I love Dan. Thank you. I absolutely adore Dan. <laughs> Everybody loves Dan. I've had death threats if I kill him. Don't. Don't even think it. I'm giving you a look. Don't do it. <laughs> well, I did kill off one main character. I know. I, I still can't tell from that. I, 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 I've almost forgiven you for that, but I understand why you had to do it. I'm giving you dirty looks. That person does show up and buy you reckoning. Yes, yes. I'm not going to say in what particular way, but they do. So, so somebody might have mentioned that in passing, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> do you want to read an edited version? Ooh, I would be your best it's friend. It's a new book yourself before it comes out. Yes, please. It would be the unedited version, though. That's fine. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I love you. You're so sweet. Um, you mentioned the movie. I didn't bring it up because I wasn't sure where it all left off. There, I mean, it has been so many ups and downs with that. And Sony had it. Mm -hmm. They've technically got it until the end of this month. But they went through two or three really bad scripts. And I think they just got tired of spending money on it and put it on the back burner. And I get the rights, the, the film rights back to it, I think, at the end of this month. And then I'm just going to reassess and go from there. Okay. I was wondering what happened because I know, I know it was something they were talking about for a while and then it just... Well, the people that were very excited for it over at Sony, they got reassigned, some got laid off, um, and so it fell into the hands of people who had never even actually read the book. Oh, well, that's Hollywood. And so the scripts that they were given um, were not very good. I mean, I, I read one of them and I literally, I broke down and cried. It was so bad. 
And so, uh, thankfully, you know, Sony agreed that they didn't like those scripts either. But at the same time, you know, when you shell out $50,000, $100,000 for a script at a time, it's not something that you're just going to keep throwing money at. And I understand that, you know? But were you not part of the script writing process? No. Well, that doesn't make That's any sense. That's what I don't understand is that it's it's a lot of rules and regulations around the 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 guild, the, the screenwriters guild. Um, you're not allowed to interfere with them in any way, shape, or form. And if they come and they talk to you, that's great. If not, that's their prerogative. And so this particular screenwriter um, never even spoke to me. I know he spoke with the producer, which was Ramey Rank, and Ramey was on board with me on the vision for it. But, again, he could only give input. He couldn't technically say, hey, you have to do this, you have to do this. So the guy basically took my characters and plopped them into his own story and changed the the very basic fabric of their being. It was really, really bad. That I'm, I'm trying to get an understanding of why they would do that. That's, you know, it's their take on the book. It's the one, when they don't want to stick to the story that's in the book, they don't have to. That's the unfortunate part of adapting to screen. Is, is that normal for the writer, the author, to not be part of the script writing? Yes, that's very normal. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, if you look at, like, Rochelle Mead's Academy series, they butchered that book when they adapted it to film. It was a horrible movie. I love those books. I don't know if I've read them. Uh, look up uh, Rochelle Maid. She writes some of the best books. I love them. What advice uh, would you give to people starting out that want to be a writer, that want to that wanna even have a small amount of the success that you've had? Do your research. I cannot say it enough. If you don't believe what you're writing, if you're not knowledgeable about it, you can BS all day long, but a reader is going to pick up on it and it's going to invalidate every single thing that you wrote if you get things wrong. Even if you sound like you know what you're talking about, but you get things wrong, they're going to pick up on it and they're going to put it down. Also, just don't listen when people tell you no, it's no good, it's awful. You know, go out, get feedback. If a lot of people are telling you um, a lot of the same things are wrong with a lot of the same parts, look at that feedback. Then read it through what you wrote and see if you can apply some of their comments to it. you got to have a thick skin. Otherwise, you're going to cry like I did for two days. And thankfully, I had my daddy to tell me to pick myself up off the floor and go back to it. But a lot of people don't have that. They just have all the negativity. And so you can't let yourself uh, get drowned out in that. You just got to believe. No one's going to believe in your book the way that you do. So you just got to believe in it and go out there and sell it. Thank you. That That's actually great advice. One last thing. What do you have coming up? We have Bayou Reckoning, which is the seventh book in the Crane Diary series. Releases on July 30th. Then the Ghost Files Anniversary Edition goes to Lori on the 12th. And then I have another spot booked with her in August, I believe. And that's either going to be um, book two of Initiation or it could possibly be Salem House. It just depends Ooh. on what I get if finished. Oh, awesome. I've got a lot to look forward to this summer. It just depends. Then again, it could be a romance. You never know. It just depends on what I get finished first. Any idea about when Connor's story is going to be out? Everyone asks me that, but <laughs> honestly, it's a really hard book to write. And I'll start in on it some days, and I'll get through like a thousand words, and I have to walk away. Because I have made myself cry writing that book. There's very few books of mine that I've ever got emotional like at writing. And his story is one of them because of what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And you get a little bit of the backstory about what happened to him in Jasper, which is, I think, the Kincaid Security Investigation number four. Yes. Because it involved Jasper's brother. So yeah. if you haven't read Jasper yet, I don't know if you have. Or- I have. Then you know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of why he he's such a powerful character. He's mm-hmm. probably my favorite out of all the brothers, he's to be honest. Everybody's favorite. Even people that say they love Mason. I love Mason, which I too. Think the most lovable character in the series. They'll still tell you that they love Connor more. Here's my problem with Mason. My only problem with Mason has nothing to do with your writing, but he reminds me of my nephew. <laughs> so every time I read about him, 
or he's mentioned, I picture my nephew and, you know, my, my young 20-something, <laughs> adorable, sweet, goofy nephew. That That's kind of what I think about. Well, you know, Mason came about the way that he is because all of the other brothers are so intense mm-hmm. and there just needed to be someone in there to, to do a little comic relief, to make them all smile and laugh. And that's where uh, Mason got his lovable side from. Yeah, he, he personality-wise, you, you could have been writing my nephew. So, Joey, if you're listening, there's a book all about you. <laughs> <laughs> now, his book, was it Forever Your Touch, which is the first part of his story? That is the anniversary edition. There's like, I think I added 8,000 new words to that book. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I rewrote a lot of it. Because I took that entire series, and we just went through and released anniversary editions. Touch Me Not. I added 18,000 new words because that story would just feel incomplete to me. And it was the second book I ever wrote. So it needed a lot of work. I read the anniversary edition to that one, yes. Mm-hmm. It was over 100,000 words. It was a lot. I, well, no, it is a lot. It is It is definitely a lot. Last November, I did the National November Writing Month thing, the challenge Nano. that they do. Nano, yeah. And it's the 50,000 words in the 30 days. And, and I did it. <laughs> they're not 50,000 good words, but they're 50,000 words. Uh, and and it was hard. It was hard to get 50,000 words into some kind of coherent story. Uh, I'm not finished with it, but I probably never will be because it was not good. It was not a good story, but it was a coherent story. You know, you can take some really bad stories and make them great. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I'm not so sure about this one, though. <laughs> We we kind of doing doing a challenge that's fifty thousand words in a month. You don't go back and reread to to figure out oh what did I call this person or where were they living. You 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 don't do that. You just keep plugging forward to get the words on the page. I recommend it just for the challenge and the experience. I don't recommend it if you you're looking to actually <laughs> write a story. To write a story. <laughs> <laughs> now I will say one of my friends, Jonathan Yanez, he puts out four thousand words a day. Six days a week, he is a machine, but his his work is exceptional. If you like mm-hmm. science fiction, he's your person. I read a, the books that you wrote with him. He drug me kicking and screaming into the science fiction project because it was so far out of my wheelhouse. To this day, I'm shocked I finished it. Why? But uh, I love science fiction. I read science fiction all the time, but uh, I'd never written it. And he's like, oh, you got to do it. 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 But it was fun. I mean, I took the the teenager and he took the marine, and I think it turned out pretty pretty well. It did. It it really did. Uh, it, it, it's not for everyone. Were there three books in that series or four? There were three. Three. Yeah. There were three. Yeah. He. It's in his 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 realm of Gateway to the Galaxy series. I mean, he's got so many different series within that particular world that he's co-authored with many different people. But uh, he is an inspiration to me when it comes to sitting down and making myself right on the days that I feel bad. I think to myself, Jonathan has done 4,000 words before you've even sat down. So get your butt in gear. Since you brought him up, is he as intense as he comes across? He is one of the sweetest people that you will ever meet. He's intense when it comes to talking about um, his craft and his business. But just to sit down and chit-chat with him, you couldn't find a sweeter person. Well, that's nice. Because I'm on, I'm on his, in his Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I love reading. I can't help myself. Uh, I'm in his Facebook group, and sometimes he comes across as a, a little intense and very focused. He is always very focused. So it's nice to know that he's got a friendly, outgoing side as well. He does. I, I remember I didn't know him for the longest time. He was uh, just another author that was part of um, Limitless Publishing. And um, I don't even remember how it was we started talking. But we started chit-chatting after that. It was just like, oh, you know, we've got this idea. Would you like to write a story? I was very hesitant because a lot of authors that co-author, one author will write the whole book, and the other author will go through it and just add their little touches to it. And to me, that is not co-authoring. If you're going to co-author, it. One person writes half the book, and the other person writes half the book. Right. 
that's just my opinion on it. But the bulk of authors, I think, do it that way now. One person will write it and the other person will go through, flesh it out, and add their little insights to it. But when I explained this to him, he's like, oh, I'm down for it. We'll do it your way. <laughs> and so we, I would, he would write something and send it to me and laugh. He's like, now get out of it. And so it, sometimes it would take me a day or two to figure out how to get out of the situation he put me in. That's and funny. so we went back and forth like this for every book we've ever written together. We will put each other in awkward situations, and the other person will have to get out of it. And so it's probably one of the most fun things I have ever done is writing with him. That, that sounds like a really fun way to do it. Mm-hmm. His mind thinks like mine, and so we have a lot of the same ideas, and we write alike. And we have the same work ethic when it comes to getting things done. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I'll try. Because I had tried with several people before, and it it didn't work. Because they didn't get their parts in on time. Um, Their voice and my voice just didn't work together cohesively. And so it just didn't work. But with Jonathan, when we sit down and we write, it's it's perfect. It's, It's honestly perfect. I will say that. So he would write us. He would write up a section and like email it to you, and then you would look it over and and put in your piece, and then email it back. So when we sat down to start um, writing the science fiction series, which we called the Invasion series, it's part of the Gateway to the Galaxy series. It's a lot of series. I took the the part of Remy, and he took Remy's brother, and so he would write a chapter in the brother's perspective, who was a Marine, Mm -hmm. and then I would write a chapter in the perspective of the teenage boy. And so they got sucked into this world, and so he would put us in a situation like with uh, dinosaurs. Yeah. (laughs) Escape from the dinosaur. It's your turn to escape from the dinosaur. So I would have to think, oh, God, how am I going to get away from a dinosaur? (laughs) So it was just really fun. And that's how, you know, how we do things. So the different worlds, he'd kind of throw those different worlds through the portal at you and you'd figure them out? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That, that's like having a big brother. And so I introduced the dragons because I love dragons. And yes. if I'm writing science fiction and fantasy, there's going to be dragons. He loves wolves. He puts wolves in all of his books. Yes. His wolf pack himself. <laughs> yep. That's his, his brand is the wolf pack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's one of the things I like about him. Yeah, he's a good friend if you get to know him. What, what I want to know is is who came up with the uh, weaponized arm? That's... I don't remember if it's just something we came up with or if it was something that one of us wrote. I'm thinking that it was something he just randomly wrote in there because I'm one of those few authors he works with that I don't have an outline, and so it's just he can't outline with me. And I think that drives him a little nuts because he's an outliner. <laughs> but I think it makes it fun for him, too, because he never knows what I'm going to do. And I think when he was writing, it just came about organically. And he's like, oh, deal with this. Because that, that was kind of abrupt. It was like, oh, what just happened here? And then. Yeah. But, you know, it, it worked out because that mechanical arm saved him in a bunch of uh, situations in the follow-up books. Yeah. So he's all about those uh, crazy things. But I'm not sure I will be writing science fiction again. I have a product going to go anywhere. We we are coming up on our hour, as sad as that makes me. <laughs> April, I want to I want to say thank you so much. I I know I was a pest about getting you to come on. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for talking with us. Yes, thank you for being here. All right, thank you April so much. All right, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it.